Friends, good morning. Good morning and welcome to worship at Pleasant Street Christian Reformed Church. It's good to see all of you. Welcome also to those of you who are joining us online uh, during our live stream or who are checking in with us at some point during the week. Uh, my name is Matthew. I'm the pastor here on behalf of all of us at Pleasant Street. If you are a guest or visiting with us, thank you for being with us today and welcome. Uh, and as someone who is just coming back into town out of Grand Rapids, I should say Grand Rapids says hi. Uh, we had a number of important meetings, uh, our annual meetings as a denomination this past week, and all of you sent me as a delegate. And I am grateful for the opportunity to have gone and participated in our annual synod, and I am grateful to be home again with all of you. And as I'm jumping back in, there's a couple things that I wanted to highlight for us as we are getting started for worship this morning. So if you will take a look in your bulletin, you'll notice some things about events and opportunities to gather as a community that are happening in the life of our church. Uh, I've got a couple more than usual today because it seems we have a bit of a backlog, right? So bear with me for a second, right? But the first is uh, our church softball team has a home game tomorrow evening. That's Monday, which is tomorrow in the evening at 6 p.m., I think, right? Is that correct? It's at 6 p.m. tomorrow, which is the day after today. So that's tomorrow. And it's a home game, which means it's just right down the street over that way. Uh, it's been fun to watch our team crush it uh, in, in some ways. And please do come and join us for that at 6 p.m. tomorrow, which is the day after today, right down the street over there. Um, we'd love to have you there tomorrow. Um, the other thing is that uh, from the deacons, uh, wanted to highlight for you that um, piece of bread which is a community-owned ministry that happens year-round where we serve meals to people uh, in our community who uh, have food insecurity and who could use a meal. That happens at United Presbyterian Church every week all year. This is a huge, uh, well-kept secret, and our congregation shares in, uh, in that as well. And we're looking for volunteers for this Wednesday night. It's 5.15 to 6.30 p.m., if you're interested in participating in this ministry, want to know how you can help, where's Mr. Keith Vandenacker? Yeah, thanks, Keith. Um, talk to that guy right there, and he can tell you more about that. Um, the third is that, uh, speaking of community-owned events, Vacation Bible School is coming up in a few weeks, and Kate wanted to remind us that there is an uh, all-volunteer meeting happening uh, this coming Saturday. I believe that's the 24th, and it's at 10 a.m. She also realized recently that you haven't been getting some of the emails she's been sending, so check your, check your junk folder, check your spam folder, because it seems like some of the, the communication that she's been sending may have gone, uh, have gone there by, uh, by accident. So um, those are a couple of things to highlight. Uh, two others. One is that uh, as we gather today, we want to welcome some guests who, who are with us. So... Mr. John Vriesma is going to be preaching for us this morning, and we're grateful to have you back, John. And we also want to welcome back uh, Mr. Larry Kuypers, who is hiding behind the organ console there. Uh, it's good to have you back with us, Larry. Larry is going to be leading us from the organ. So that, uh, you may have noticed, sonically, it sounds a little different in church today. Uh, I'd invite you, uh, if you would like, to find this very large gray book, uh, this is a hymnal, right? And the way this works is that you don't have to turn it on, uh, you don't have to power it up, 
You don't have to unlock the screen or anything like that. You can actually just open it like that, right? And it's got both words and music, right? So if you would like to follow along as we do these hymns uh, and, and join in a classical way of doing church together, uh, you're welcome to use the hymnal. For those of you who do better visually with the words, we also have the words on the screens as well. All right. And then the last thing I want to highlight is I want to welcome my friend, um, uh, Mr. Jonathan Steele, up, and we're going to do a brief update about our vision team and uh, how that is going at our church. So thank you, Jonathan. Thank you, and good morning. Pleasant Street's vision team would like to give you an update on the recent work we have done regarding interviewing for the Associate Pastor of Spiritual Formation position. As a reminder, our team members are Chris Epplett, Brett Buma, Emily Fortna, David Ryder, Sue Cooper, Andrew Schneider, Pastor Matthew, and me. We're excited to let you know that we've had a number of candidates step forward, and we have completed first round interviews with those candidates. We have moved forward with a second interview with one of those candidates, and our team would like to continue that dialogue. As a reminder, we are looking at the person in this position to train, equip, and support the leaders we have in various positions, nurture and encourage people of all ages on their faith journey, promote intergenerational ministries, and develop programs to foster discipleship. In essence, because God's ongoing work happens spread out over seven days, we are investing in this position to help bridge the gap between what happens on Sunday morning and the rest of the week. The person in this important role will be someone who can retrieve and share a combination of spiritual wisdom and reformed theology. What we should expect is an emphasis on our connection to God, to scripture, and to our community. We are continuing to try to develop a, a strong financial foundation for this position, and we ask you to continue to consider how you can support it. If you would like to know more about this position or our work and progress, please talk with any team member after today's service. Thank you. Um, friends, would you rise in body or in spirit, and let's worship the Lord together. Congregation, we live in a world of worries, yet look at the birds of the air. They neither sow nor reap nor gather into barns, and yet God feeds them. Congregation, we face a future of decisions, yet look at the birds of the air. They neither study nor plan nor plot their course, and yet God leads them where they need to go. Congregation, we are weary of suffering, yet look at the birds of the air. Not one sparrow is beneath what God sees, so do not be afraid. You are worth more than many sparrows. Congregation, who is this God whom we have come to worship? Let us worship our Creator and Redeemer. Friends, let's remain standing. Let's sing together. When morning gilds the sky, it's number 438.
brothers and sisters, would you join me in a prayer? Extravagant God, you have promised treasure in heaven that outweighs any we could envision or imagine on earth. Send your Holy Spirit now and show us the gifts you've already given to us. Refashion us in gratitude by all the riches of your promises expressed in Jesus Christ, that we might be generous toward the world. We pray these things in the name of Jesus Christ, our Savior and Lord. Amen. Friends, let's sing Great is Thy Faithfulness. It's number 556.
in view of God's faithfulness to us expressed in Christ Jesus, would you join me in this prayer of confession? In mercy, O God, you confront us and expose our sin. May we respond in spirit and in truth, confessing our failure, reclaiming our hope. In our lust for lifeless objects and our relentless pursuit for more, we cross the line of innocent desire and wander into masked idolatry. We seek salvation in spiritless things, worship you for our own gratification, and see ourselves and each other as mere consumers and commodities. Forgive us, O God, for we have sinned. In mercy, O God, raise us from the dead. Breathe new life into your people. Empower us to be a witness to your kingdom, living the gospel of Jesus. Create in us, O God, a consuming passion to love and serve you. I invite you now to take a few moments in the presence of God's Spirit to take these words and make them your own. We ask, O oh God, that you would hear our prayers, both those we voice together and the ones we lift up to you in our hearts. In Jesus Christ's name, amen. In view of God's mercy, brothers and sisters, we are reminded of God's forgiveness. I invite you to hear with me these words of assurance that come from Ezekiel 36. God says, I will sprinkle clean water on you, and you will be clean. I will give you a new heart and put a new spirit in you. I will take your heart of stone and give you a heart of flesh. I will put my spirit in you and move you to follow my decrees. You will be my people. And I will be your God. Merciful God, come and pour out your Holy Spirit into our church, into our hearts. Realize Ezekiel's promise in our lives. In the power of God's Holy Spirit, receive these trustworthy words, my friends. Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners. To all who confess their sins, he says, your sins are forgiven. Full of the promised Holy Spirit, Jesus says to us, follow me. Lord Jesus, forgiven, we ask for your spirit to lead us to life. Amen. In view of God's mercy and faithfulness, we confess our sins. We are reminded of what he has done about it. 
and we offer our lives in response in gratitude. We do this first with words. And so in the power of spirit, my friends, we are learning to walk humbly with our God in gratitude. Our Lord Jesus says, you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your mind. This is the first and greatest commandment, and the second is like it. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. Pray with me. Holy God, we offer ourselves to you, our hands in prayer, our lips in praise, and our hearts in full devotion. Take us as we are, and then mold us to your design, so that we may serve you with joy all the days of our lives, salt for the world, and light in the darkness. Through Christ our Lord, amen. As people who are learning to live a life of gratitude in response to God, we do this with words, and we also get to do this with a tangible act of trust by giving up some of what God has entrusted to us in our offering. So I want to invite the deacons to come forward who are going to help us to do that together. And as they do so, let me offer a prayer on, behalf, on our behalf. While the deacons come around to collect our offerings, we're going to hear an offertory. And then at the conclusion of that, uh, we'll sing together, Take My Life and Let It Be, uh, I'll invite you to rise when you hear your musical cue. Let's pray together. Lord Jesus, you, um, in seeing our hard-heartedness, your response was to give more, to give your own self. This is not the way things work in the world. And so we ask, O oh God, that you would set before us again and again the lavishness of your grace, that our hearts would be softened and changed and that we might also see an example to learn to follow in your, um, uh, in your path. As we lift up these offerings to you, we ask that you would receive them as a tangible sign of our trust in you, in your promises, and in your coming kingdom. We ask that you, you would use them to build up your church for the sake of the world. In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen.
this place, we are reminded of God's peace and love for us. It comes to us in the good news of Jesus, and it is as real as a handshake. I'd invite you now to take a moment, having received this grace, and turn to your neighbors and to express that peace with a handshake or a hug or a socially appropriate way of greeting each other. This is fun for me, because I never get to do this part. Church is a gathering of all of us together. Church is all of us, but sometimes we also have opportunities for us to, to, uh, to worship together in different ways and spaces. And we do that together now with our Kids Street students. So I want to invite all of our kids age four through second grade to come join me up here for a moment, because we would like to bless you. So come on up, guys. I'm so glad that you guys are going to stand with me because it gets lonely up here. So, you ready? All right, here we go. People of God, what is our prayer? Lord, continue to show us your wonderful, never stopping, never giving up, unbreaking always and forever love. Amen. Lord be with you. Go in peace to love and serve Jesus. Good morning. My name is Tony Brookhouse. I'm one of the elders here at Pleasant Street. Um, I just want to take a second to say, Larry, it's unbelievable to listen to you play. Thank you for sharing your gifts with us. I, we really appreciate it. My mother-in-law would be so, she's so sad she isn't here. She, her brother passed away, so they're in Chicago, but uh, she sends her greetings. Will you bow your heads with me? Dear Heavenly Father, it is only fitting that on our earthly Father's Day, we turn our eyes and hearts to you, our true Father, and give you thanks. The example you have set throughout the scriptures is a wonderful example for all of us. Thank you for being our heavenly parent who loves us unconditionally and provides for all our needs. You, Father, have made yourself known to us through Jesus, your Son, and have invited us to pray to you as our Father. We pray for all of our fathers today. Give them wisdom. Give them patience. Give them the ability to love in a way that reflects your love. We also pray for all of our children. Give them guidance a spirit of obedience, warmth, comfort, and peace in, the fam in their family's home. Lord, come and comfort the Kuipers and Toll families as they grieve. To Lord, also be with the Kewick and Picard families. Lord, help us in our search for an associate pastor and a director of children's ministry. 
We know you provide for all of our needs. Please be with John A., EDJ, Len Wiersma, with his uh, wife's daughter passing, Hank E., and my mother-in-law Doris as her brother passed. Now, Lord, bless us in this service and all who are involved in it. We pray this in your name alone. Amen. Gathered here in God's house, the Lord comes and speaks to us today. And the scripture today is found in Matthew chapter 6 and Proverbs chapter 22. The word of the Lord, my friends. Do not store up for yourselves treasures on earth where moths and vermin destroy and where thieves break in and steal. But store up for yourselves treasures in heaven where moths and vermin do not destroy and where thieves do not break in and steal. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. The eye is the lamp of the body. If your eyes are healthy, your whole body will be full of light. But if your eyes are unhealthy, your whole body will be full of darkness. And then the light within you is darkness. How great is that darkness? No one can serve two masters. Either you will hate the one and love the other, or you will be devoted to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve both God and money. The generous will themselves be blessed, but they share their food with the poor. Friends, this is the word of the Lord. Well, good morning. And to all your fathers, a happy Father's Day. So I appreciate being back here with you and sharing God's words with you. So I'll begin by asking, how is your eyesight? Have you been to an eye doctor lately? Do you have 20-20 vision? Or are you one who, like me, zooms the computer screen up to 150% so you can read the screen? It may not seem like it, but the passage that we just read is about having good eyesight. According to the Cleveland Clinic, only about 35% of people have 20-20 eyesight. Having 20-20 vision means that you can see an object clearly from 20 feet away. 20-20 vision refers to normal vision, average vision, not perfect vision. Now, did you know that in Europe, they describe normal vision as 6-6? Because it's not because they're nearsighted, it's because of meters, 6 meters rather than 20 feet. Can your vision be better than 2020? Yes, having 2020 vision means you have normal or average vision. Some people have vision that's better than 2020, like 2015 or 2010 vision. That means you can see something at 20 feet away, like the line on an eye chart that most people can see when they're 15 feet away. That is, if you're 15 feet, you have 20. 15, or if you can see what other you can see at 20 feet what other people can see at 10, so you have 2010. That's better yet than 2020. Well, many of us have eye problems. 
People who struggle with seeing colors might have colorblindness. Others might struggle with depth perception or their peripheral vision. Some folks might have hyperopia, that is farsightedness, or myopia, nearsightedness, or presbyopia, means being unable to see things that are close to you, and it generally happens as you get older. Excuse me a minute. Oh, sorry. Um, or you might have astigmatism, which is a condition where part of your eye has an irregular curve. Well, why is having good vision so important? Well, for safety. If you're driving or biking or walking, it can be dangerous if you can't see very well. Or just simply for comfort. It allows you to see more clearly in your activities. You won't have to squint. If you're at, in a classroom, you don't have to squint. Or at the movie theaters, you don't have to squint. It helps with comfort. Or maybe with simply reading. Good vision helps you to read better for work or learning or enjoyment. And with good vision, you just have a much better quality of life. So you see, good vision is very important. In many ways of your life, good vision helps you. Well, all right, so much for a lesson in optometry. What does this have to do with the passage that we just read? Well, I want to look more closely at Matthew 6 with you. Matthew 6 is part of a passage, Matthew 5 through 7, which we call the Sermon on the Mount. Likely, Matthew has listed a string of short teachings of Jesus, whether all done in one afternoon or perhaps over several days or a period of time. Matthew is sharing some teachings with us that sometimes they're very closely connected, other times it seems a bit less connected, but um, very much about the Ten Commandments and some other topics that he wants to share with us. If Moses had his Ten Commandments, Jesus has his Sermon on the Mount. And chapter 6 begins with this. Be careful not to practice your righteousness in front of others to be seen by them. If you do, you will have no reward from your Father in heaven. The term in Hebrew, zedekah, refers to acts of righteousness. Acts of charity, generosity, good works. Jesus begins this section by encouraging us to do good. But please be humble about it. The reward is the joy in giving to others, not in the attention or recognition that you get back. If others praise you, fine. But we aren't supposed to toot our own horn, so to speak. Maybe on a college application, maybe in a job interview, that's different. You have to promote yourself. But normally we're supposed to serve God with humbleness. He then says in verses 2 to 4, so when you give to the needy, do not announce it with trumpets as the hypocrites do in the synagogues and on the streets to be honored by others. Truly, I tell you, they've received their reward in full. But when you give to the needy, do not let your left hand know what your right hand is doing so that your giving may be in secret. Then your father who does what is done in secret will reward you. Now, a hypocrite was actually a name for an actor on a stage in that culture. Actors, or hypocrites, would enter the stage sometimes with sounds of trumpets to announce their presence. <clears throat> Again, Jesus says, when you give, not if you're giving, it's assuming you are giving, when you give, don't be like the hypocrites, don't be like actors on a stage, be humble. He then goes on to talk about how some, again, like actors on a stage, in verses 5 and 16, 
um, try to draw attention to themselves with prayer and fasting. He says, and when you pray, do not be like the hypocrites, again, actors, for they love to pray standing in the synagogues and on the street corners to be seen by others. And then again in verse 16, when you fast, do not look somber as the hypocrites do, for they disfigure their faces to show others they are fasting. Knock it off, says Jesus. You are praying and fasting, right? But please be humble about it. And then our passage for today. Do not store up for yourselves treasures on earth where moth and vermin destroy, where thieves break in and steal, but store up for yourselves treasures in heaven where moth and vermin do not destroy, where thieves do not break in and steal, for where your treasure is there your heart will be also. So Jesus says, get your priorities straight. Don't become attached to your earthly possessions. They're not going to go with you to the afterlife. Invest your energy in things that matter now. Family, friends, service to others. Those are the things that now you can do that are lasting. Those are the things that won't decay, rust, or run out of batteries. That's Zedekah. Let your acts of service make a difference in people's lives. But now the line that has really puzzled scholars. The eye is the lamp of the body. If your eyes are healthy, your whole body will be full of light. But if your eyes are unhealthy, your whole body will be full of darkness. If then the light within you is darkness, how great is that darkness? In the context of giving humbly, Jesus talks about eyes. Eyes? What does that have to do with acts of service? Well, if we dig further into the Hebrew, we find the word for eyes is ayin. In Judaism, an idiom is saying that something's not literal. It conveys a message. Don't take me literally, but listen to the message is what an idiom is. It's kind of like saying yesterday it rained cats and dogs. Not really. You know that it rained a lot. Or I'm so hungry I could eat a horse. <laughs> I don't think so. Not even half a horse. Not even a tenth of a horse. But you get the idea that someone's very hungry. It's just a saying. You get the message from the saying. The idiom good eye refers to being generous. A bad eye is like saying you are greedy. So someone with a good eye believes that God will provide materially emotionally, and spiritually. I have enough, more than enough. I realize I am blessed by the world's standards. I am secure with water, housing, food, clothing, heat, air conditioning, work, family, friends, health care. Realizing what I have, I seek to be generous when I can, and I'm concerned about the well-being of others. I ask often, how can I help others? So my life then is full of light and goodness and thankfulness. That's having a good eye. But if I have a bad eye, I'm stingy. I resent those who have more than I have. I'm eager to hold on to what I have. I refuse to help those with less. I'm disconnected from the struggles of others. I ask, what's in it for me? I'm not sure God's going to take care of me, so I take care of myself first. My life is dark. 
dismal, filled with fear and anxiety. Having a good eye, tovayin, or ayin tova, or a bad eye, ayin ra'ah, reveals our relationship with God and money. So in the words of Matthew 6.22, do you have good eyes or bad eyes? Are your eyes generous or stingy? Do you want light or darkness in your life? Interesting thing, a common custom in Judaism when you are soliciting money or food or whatever for some cause, you will encourage others with the phrase, please give with a good eye. If we were Jewish and it was time to take the offering, we would have said, remember, please give with a good eye. Seems kind of strange to us, but that's in Judaism. In other words, do you see a need? Are you aware of those around you who are struggling? Do you look for those who are hurting and need help? If so, you have good eyes. And to follow this up, Jesus says, you can't serve two masters. No one can serve two masters, he says. Either you will hate one and love the other, or you'll be devoted to one and despise the other. You cannot serve both God and money. You can't be greedy and love God. It's oil and water. They don't mix. Well, here's a funny little Jewish fable to illustrate. A man had two wives, one younger, the other old. The young one used to pluck out his white hair, whereas the old one used to pluck out his black hair. Eventually, he became bald on both sides. <laughs> what do you think it means? Well, sure, don't have two wives. But more than that, it tells us you can't have two masters and equally love them both. One or the other will rule you. You can't fully please both. So what is God saying? You can't love God and money. If you love money, you have a bad eye. The Bible has this concept of good and bad eyes in several places. But the problem is that the translators have taken out that idiom and changed it with words like generous or greedy, and we miss the idiom. So, for example, in Proverbs 28, 22, in the NIV it says, The stingy are eager to get rich and unaware that poverty awaits them. In the message, a little more modern contemporary version, a miser in a hurry to get rich doesn't know that he'll end up broke. But if we look at the Orthodox Jewish version, it says, He that hasteth to be rich hath a ra'ayin, bad eye, and considereth not want shall come upon him. Or how about the verse we read, Proverbs 22, verse 9? The generous will themselves be blessed, for they share their food with the poor, says the NIV. The message says generous hands are blessed hands, because they give bread to the poor. But in the Orthodox Jewish version, it says, He that hath a tovayin, a generous eye, shall have a bracha, a barak. Remember last week we said barak was blessing? For he giveth his lechem, bread, to the doll, the poor. So a good eye sees need and gives. Note how good eye and bad eye are used in both of these passages. Another passage, Matthew 20, a parable Jesus tells. We read of a vineyard owner who hired workers to pick grapes. 
Realizing he needs more help, he returns several times throughout the day to hire workers. At the end of the day, he pays them the same. Now, the workers who worked all day obviously thought that was unfair. They were angry. Unequal pay for unequal work, that's wrong. And in our eyes, that does seem wrong. But the vineyard owner wants to be generous. He wants to help those who are poor, who through really no fault of their own, only worked a small amount of the day. How much that extra money would help them in their daily struggles with their families. The owner states at the end, verse 15, New Living Translation, Is it against the law for me to do what I want with my money? Should you be jealous because I am kind to others? It's accurate. Don't I have the right to do what I want with my own money? Or are you envious because I'm generous? New International Version. But in the Orthodox Jewish, or is it not allowable for me to do what I wish with the things that are mine? Or do you look with a jealous ayin horo, a jealous or evil eye, upon my goodness? So we see in the original Hebrew how they use that idiom strongly to talk about a good or bad eye. The vineyard owner wanted to be generous rather than fair with his money. Now I have a question for you. Would you like God to be fair with you or generous with you? I think you want God to be generous with you. But do you want God to be fair or generous with others? We tend to want God to be fair with others, but generous with ourselves. Do you and I look with good eyes or evil eyes at others when God blesses them more than us? The quickest way to an evil eye is to compare your blessings with what God gives others, rather than focusing on your own blessings and how much God has given you. In modern terms, do you suffer from Facebook envy? Do you get envious when looking at the pages of Facebook that are filled with pictures of other people's vacation photos, their houses, their cars, their lives? Or can you be happy with the life that God has given you while also being happy for other successes, even if they have more than you. Is your, light, sorry, is your life filled with light or darkness? Do you have a good eye or an evil eye? A really cool example of this is found in Acts 2 and Acts 4. From Acts 2, they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and to fellowship, to the breaking of bread and to prayer. Everyone was filled with awe at the many wonders and signs performed by the apostles. All the believers were together and had everything in common. They sold property and possessions to give to anyone who had need. Every day they continued to meet together in the temple courts. They broke bread in their homes and ate together with glad and sincere hearts, praising God and enjoying the favor of all the people. And the Lord added to them daily to their number of those being saved. <clears throat> or from Acts 4. All the believers were one in heart and mind. No one claimed that any of their possessions was their own, but they shared everything they had. With great power, the apostles continued to testify to the resurrection of the Lord Jesus. And God's grace was so powerfully at work in them that there were no needy persons among them. From time to time, those who owned land or houses sold them, brought the money from the sales and put it at the apostles' feet, and it was distributed to anyone who had need. 
Joseph, a Levite from Cyprus, whom the apostles called Barnabas, which means son of encouragement, sold the field he owned and brought the money and put it at the apostles' feet. What a great example. How cool is that? If we really had good eyes, we could be a church like that one. Budgets would be met. The poor would be taken care of. Elderly would have meals provided. The sick would be attended to. And I know some of you have really good eyes here. You're generous and focused on helping others. You try to care for the hurting and give aid when called to do so. Now, interestingly, the command to give and to be generous was not a common message in Old Testament times. We think a lot of the Old Testament commands about sacrifices and cleanliness and mold and mildew and all of that stuff are strange. To them, that was not strange. They were not questioned by the Jews at the time. But the command to give and be generous, that was questioned. So to encourage his people, God instituted several commands regarding generosity. Tithes for the poor. Corners of your field left uncut for the poor. (coughs) Excuse me. Loans with no interest. Forgive loans after seven years? Really? If you had to sell your land due to debt, you actually got it back in the year of Jubilee. Every 50, 50, 50, years, things were restored back to the way they were. It was a reset. That, now those things, were unusual in that culture. The worship of God is inextricably linked to charity and serving others. Justice for the poor was essential. If there are any words in Scripture that try to measure what it means to be a believer in God, it's the command to care for the poor. Our heart for the poor may very well be a measure for our heart for God. What keeps us from being generous? Well, one thing that keeps us from being generous and and helping others is time pressure. Social psychologists John Darley and Daniel Batson wanted to know why people help in some situations but not others. So they decided to study one allegedly charitable group, seminary students training to become priests. The researchers asked each of 67 seminary students to deliver a sermon on the parable of the Good Samaritan, a Bible story about helping strangers in need. The researchers then randomly assigned the students to one of two conditions. In the hurried condition, a research assistant concluded the sermon instructions with, Oh, you're late. Your supervisors are waiting for you. They're expecting you a few minutes ago. You'd better get moving. But in the unhurried condition, the researcher, research assistant ended the instructions with, It'll be a few minutes before they're ready for you. Take your time, but you might as well head on over. Each student walked alone to the building where he would deliver the sermon. On the way, the student encountered a man slumped in a doorway with his eyes closed, coughing and moaning, clearly in distress. From afar, researchers watched. Would the seminary student stop to help the stranger in need? Darley and Batson found that only 10% of seminary students in the hurried condition stopped to help the man. In comparison, 63% of the participants in the unhurried condition stopped. In other words, being in a hurry can lead even a seminary student with the Good Samaritan on his mind to 
to ignore a person in distress. How much does your or my busyness get in the way of having a good eye? What else affects our generosity? Advertising? The purpose of an ad is to make us unhappy, thinking that to be happy, we need that product. We need more. And so ultimately, we are less willing, less likely, and perhaps less able to give. We've spent way more on ourselves, thinking we need all those things to be happy, and therefore we have less to give. What are some ways that we can be generous? Perhaps give $10 to a homeless person, or better yet, buy him or her lunch. Maybe spend a few minutes talking with that person to hear his or her story. Help teach a skill. Maybe bring meals to those who are hurting. Do some yard work. Serve the homeless. Teach sewing. If, your ki- if you want your kids to learn generosity, model it with your kids. They learn generosity from you. Show them what it means to be generous. Don't just talk about it. Can charity also be shown by helping a store owner by not haggling to get the lowest price? Perhaps shopping at a store of a Christian who's barely making it, even if the prices are a bit higher? Perhaps when we go to a restaurant, we can remind ourselves to be generous in tipping. I heard on the radio a fun idea. When you go to a dinner with a large group, Consider having each person or each couple add 10 or $20 to the tip. Leave a large tip and watch how you change someone's day. Well, let me end with a few short illustrations. These come from a site called markandangel.com. This evening, my dad brought me into the city to one of his favorite restaurants. He ordered a substantial amount of food and ate only half of it. On the way home, he drove a route I was unfamiliar with. He pulled over near an alley and said, I'll be right back. And then he grabbed the leftovers, ran into an alley, and returned empty-handed. When I asked him what he did, he replied, there's a homeless veteran back there who I've been giving leftovers to for the last year or so. Secondly, this morning in my checkout line at the grocery store where I worked, a flustered elderly woman realized she was $6 short on cash for her groceries. She didn't have any other form of payment with her. The three people in line immediately behind her each chipped in $2 so she didn't have to put anything back. Their spontaneous generosity made me smile. (coughs) Third, today at the animal shelter where I volunteer, a little boy and his mom who had adopted a kitten last week came into our lobby carrying big bags full of food, toys, blankets, and other supplies we desperately need. (coughs) The boy's mom said, Today is his birthday. Instead of birthday presents, he asked his dad and me to donate to the shelter. Excuse me. Fourthly, on the way to work today, I watched a teenage boy help an elderly woman with a cane onto the city bus I was riding. He was so careful with her, assisting her every step of the way. The woman had the biggest smile on her face. They both sat directly across from me, And just as I was about to compliment her on having a wonderful grandson, the boy looked at her and said, My name is Chris. What's your name, ma'am? Or, fifth, finally, Times haven't been easy lately, but people have been kind. 
We live in a lower middle class neighborhood. My wife was just diagnosed with breast cancer last week, so my 14-year-old son decided that he wanted to raise money to help pay for some of her medical expenses. His idea was to go door-to-door around the neighborhood with hair clippers and let people shave a part of his head for a small donation of their choosing. He asked me whether $100 as a goal would be too much, and I told him not to get his hopes up. That wasn't me, was it? (laughs) Nope, okay. It's funny, I put my foot down, and I'm like, okay. (laughs) Timing, timing's everything. He asked me whether $100 as a goal would be too much. I told him not to get his hopes up. He came back 10 minutes ago with a bald head and $1,225. Three people gave him $100 bills. Thanks to God for having a good eye and giving us the greatest gift of Jesus dying and rising for us. Therefore, we can have good eyesight with others. How's your eyesight? Do you have tovaim, good eyes? Will you pray with me? Father, we praise you for your generosity to us in the form of Jesus' sacrifice for us. Help us to have good eyes, to see need and respond with love and care. May we be filled with the love of Jesus. Amen. As those learning to live with good eyes, I want to invite our third through fifth grade students up, if we have any with us today. I have an opportunity to go with some of our church leaders and discuss the things that we're observing and learning together in church. How are you doing, Caleb? Good. It's nice to have friends up here. People of God, what is our prayer? And loving God, thank you for the gift of your word. Help us to believe what we have. Wait, should we start from the beginning? We'll do it together, ready? Help us to believe what we have heard and live in ways that honor you above all. Amen. Go in peace to love and serve Jesus. Friends, would you rise in body or in spirit? Let's sing together, Come Thou Fount. It's number 486.
God's blessing. The Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord make his face to shine upon you and be gracious to you. The Lord bless, sorry, the Lord turn his face toward you and give you peace. So they will put my name on the Israelites and I will bless them. You're all waiting so patiently. Um, let's, let's go out singing. Fill down my life, O oh Lord my God. It's number 547.